Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, this is Luke. With as much news as is breaking daily these days regarding the Titans coronavirus outbreak, I feel like I'm recording these messages far too often. But uh, we recorded this episode before... Wednesday's news came out of two more positive player tests, uh, 15 Titans players gathering at Montgomery Bell Academy for a workout, including Ryan Tannehill, as reported by Paul Kuharski and confirmed by Steve Lehman of News Channel 5. However, there is still plenty of relevant and untimely information within this podcast. Just know uh, when it was recorded going into it. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, the Titans' currently scheduled upcoming opponent, though who knows what will happen to that game. Uh, We will also dive into Stop the Nonsense, as always, and we're going to talk about the Texans' decision to fire head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien. So still plenty of good stuff in this episode. Just wanted you all to understand when it was recorded. Thank you for listening, as always, and now on to the show. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. To No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of all the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wader and Will Lomas. For the first time ever, uh, we are coming to you not after a scheduled bye week uh, without a game to recap because the Titans game that was scheduled for this past Sunday was rescheduled for a few weeks from now. So they will play the 3-0 Pittsburgh Steelers later in the season. And so now we have a, a few other things to talk about to get into today. We're going to preview the Buffalo Bills, the Titans' upcoming opponent, that Lord willing they will play on this upcoming Sunday with fans at Nissan Stadium. We're going to talk about who will not be playing in that game because they have or had the coronavirus and were placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. And we're also, of course, I mean, if you've watched this show or listened to this show ever, you knew we were going to get into this. The Houston Texans parting ways with head coach, offensive coordinator, general manager Bill O'Brien. We will get into that as well, and uh, that will be a fun, fun time. Uh, guys, let's start with just sort of recapping the last week or so. We, we were kind of joking around that Matthias and I kind of tuned everything out once the game got canceled. I, I kind of, in my head, was like, okay, well, this is my bye week. See ya. And, and just kind of checked out at that point. Uh, what's it been like for you guys? What have been your thoughts and, and, and your sort of mindset 
as you've seen this news come out over the last week that the Titans have uh, over a dozen, uh, well over a dozen positive coronavirus cases within the organization. It's been a weird week. It's been long. <laughs> it feels like the last time we talked was ages ago. And like, I can't even remember what we talked about. I think the last time we, we did the podcast, the Steelers game was still on, right? Like, yeah, we, we, it was pre- we previewed played. the Steelers. We talked about Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. So we'll get to do that again it's in a crazy. few weeks. And that was that was only a week ago, which is which is insane. But yeah, no, it was it, it's been a weird week and it just seemed like every single day there were more positive cases coming out. Finally, I think we've hit two days in a row without uh any positive cases. So uh, I think the team will be fine moving forward, uh, although I'm still concerned about the team's own protocols because something clearly went wrong here. I understand we're in a pandemic and it's impossible to be so, so safe unless you're literally in a bubble, like your own personal bubble, like bubble boy, the movie uh, that like, it's going to happen. These things are going to happen. We saw it with, with a couple other teams, uh, but the times were the only team that actually had an outbreak. So that sucked. And it had all the attention on us which was terrible because usually we don't get much media attention and this was just purely negative but thankfully it seems (laughs) like we're in the clear for now this was unwanted media attention yeah yeah this this sucked because everyone was blaming us for everything even when other teams were were getting some positive tests they were like oh this is the tides fault no it's not like that had nothing to do with us yeah i'm I'm sure that shane bowen gave cam newton the coronavirus yeah so weird, but no, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just glad we're past this, and hopefully we can actually play a game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we're past it. I think the worst part of it was if all the names had come out at one one day, and it was like, okay, well, there's nine players positive, and then it wasn't just a constant stream of new players and new names who seemingly got more important as time went on. Like that was the nightmare is it was just, it felt like it was never going to end. It happened for seven days straight, I think. So, you know, it, it was brutal. I, I'm glad we get to talk about a game this week instead of, you know, possibly forfeiting. Cause that's part of the new rules in the NFL is forfeiture is now like one of the punishments you could get if, if they review and it turns out you didn't do your job. Uh, but yeah, like hopefully we wake up tomorrow and you're listening to this podcast and there's no new positives and, they're back in the facility, but I, I mean, I'm still very much fingers crossed, like doing everything I do, like superstitious, you know, not, not messing anything up or trying to jinx anything. So we'll see, but it's been a lot better news now than it was, you know, this time last week. I want to talk about something that you guys brought up the idea of the protocols, because I believe in Adam Schefter's report on the fact that the NFL and NFLPA are investigating the Titans He said that one, here's what you have here. You either have a failure of the protocols or a failure to follow the protocols, right? Those are the only two options, logically speaking. My gut tends to think it's probably just a failure of the protocols. That this virus is incredibly contagious, and and that's one thing we've learned since March when this all started. It's not nearly as deadly as we thought it was, but it's also much more contagious than we thought it was. 
and you know they're wearing the masks in the facility and they're six feet apart of the facility but the reality is is you're out on the practice field without masks sweating and spitting all over each other which you know happens so look i don't have the facts i don't know what happened but as gentry estes of the tennessean pointed out in what i thought was a very well-written column we cannot, you know, start the, a witch hunt just because we're frustrated that, you know, the Titans derailed the NFL schedule a little bit. Like, unless there is concrete evidence that the Titans were more than just negligent, that the Titans were reckless in this, you can't go taking draft picks away. I mean, goodness gracious. That's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you all think about that? No, no it, it's absurd. It, it's absurd to think that we were going to go this entire NFL season without something like this happening. It, it's, it's it's impossible. The only possible scenario where that could have happened is if we were in an NBA-like bubble. But as we've discussed in the past, it's it's borderline impossible with so many players on these NFL rosters and so many teams. So in a situation like this where every team is in their own uh, in their own city, they're playing in their own stadiums. They're also traveling to other stadiums. It's it's just this was going to happen. It just happened to be the Titans that it happened to first. But this is not the last time this is going to happen this NFL season, especially if the NFL doesn't make any changes uh, to how we're going to proceed in the future. Like this is going to happen again. Like uh, I, I don't I hate to break the news to, to all the optimists yeah. out there, but this is probably going to happen again. And I, and I feel like. Every, when I say we, we're, we're obviously not the Titans, we're not the NFL, but we as you know, watchers of the league and the league itself collectively, I think we all knew this was going to happen at some point. It happened in baseball. Now, granted, when it started in baseball, the big story was the Marlins being reckless and not following the guidelines. Uh, but it did happen to several other teams who probably did follow the guidelines pretty well or, or you know pretty close to the letter. And so... I think we all went into the season hopeful, but, you know, saying in the back of our heads, yeah, there's probably going to be an outbreak, you know, two or three times, and they're just going to have to work around it. Okay, we have it. We expected it. Why are we now also freaking out and acting like, I mean, the fact that the NFL has, like, upped their protocols times 10 now, I don't know. I really don't know how to feel about all this, to be completely honest. I feel like there's a lot of uh, overreacting going on. Now, I don't want to minimize the virus, but at the same time, like, this was something we knew was going to happen, so why are we changing what was – I don't know. Well, let me let me say this because I'm more negative about it than either one of y'all, I think. Just because I think maybe I didn't have – a realistic expectation that it could have. <laughs> Will, like ju- Will just earlier. thinks this is all Isaiah Wilson's fault. <laughs> I mean, he's not off the COVID list for a reason, but it, it, he was cited at the practice facility. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, I, I'm, my whole confusion and I guess why I understand the league kind of freaking out like they did is this is literally the worst case scenario in terms of you test different po- different players positive every day. There's never a lull in it. So it, you yeah. get Shane Bowen, then you get players that are sick, and you get Shane Bowen before the trip, and then you get the other players after the trip. Well, so and that's a great point, Will. Yeah. So now you're like, okay, did we infect other teams? We don't know. Okay. So then logically you say, okay, let's hold the Vikings out of practice. Let's hold the Titans out of practice and see where this goes. 
Titans test positive. Nothing for the Vikings. Okay. The Titans have a new test, po- new player test positive. And then you're like, well, okay, that guy got tested yesterday and didn't test positive, but he's tested positive today. The Vikings clearly aren't out of the woods yet. And then we, you know, we saw how it went. The Vikings had enough, you know, days without testing where they felt comfortable practicing and they ended up beating the Texans. But, you know, the Titans, on the other hand, just kept, I mean, every single day, even on Sunday. So, you know, they had a different player test positive who, if they followed the protocol, didn't get into contact with anybody else that had it or anything like that. There was no new exposure for that whole time. So it was literally as drawn out as it could have been from the theoretical standpoint. And so that's why I think the league freaked out is because they thought, okay, you'll get two or three days full of false negatives and that's it. The others are, you know, extreme and they're rare cases. But that was the rare case. Like, I mean, at least that's what you hope. So, you know, I think that's why the league freaked out as much as they did. And then should they, you know, penalize the Titans draft picks? No, if they did everything right. But I will say that the, I don't know if it's a rumor or report or whatever, that there's missing GPS data that the Titans were supposed to be keeping, which monitors proximity to other players. That's a fairly big deal because. Where is that coming from? I, I had not heard that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know right now. I like m- maybe maybe I'll tell you at the end and uh, we can splice it in, but I don't have it right in front of me. But that's I think it was Rappaport that said it. Um, but don't, like I said, don't quote me on that. But well, that's just was, that's uh, a pretty big. Uh, let, me, let me look it up right now. While, while you're looking yeah. that up, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about protocols that failed here. Uh, the protocol that failed, I think, is pretty clear. It's not the masks. It's not anything that's happening inside the building. It's the fact that on Friday, they knew that Shane Bowen, or excuse me, on Saturday, they knew that Shane Bowen had this virus because he did not travel with the team, and they still traveled and played the game. Like, that seems to me, a layperson, like, ding, 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 that's your problem. Yeah, and they didn't make it known until after the game, right? And went until they asked Rabel. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's pretty bad. Like there's no there's no defending that well, and, that decision. And it's interesting comparing that to the Cam Newton thing because when Cam Newton tested positive, they held off the Chiefs Patriots game for a day and kept testing and kept testing and didn't let them fly until the day of the game and Obviously, the Titans did not break a protocol because notice no one from the media, maybe local media, but no one from the national media is wagging their finger saying, well, why did you play that game? Because that they followed the protocol. Apparently, they didn't have to not play the game. So if you want to talk about problems with the protocol, I think that might be it. No? I th- I think so. I don't think that Patriots Chiefs game should have gotten played. Honestly, when did Cam test positive? Like two I, days I have no before memory. the game. I don't remember. It was like two or three days before the game, and they still played there. Uh, they still play the game, even the one day later. Fine, okay. But like, would anyone be surprised if tomorrow some of these Patriots players test positive? No, I mean maybe they don't. But I don't know if the process is correct in the way they went about it. And I think the NFL probably needs to take a look in the mirror and see, 
like have some foresight because it seems like this is just going to keep happening. Hopefully I'm wrong. I hope so. Maybe I'm being a little negative, but I don't know. We're like we're in a pandemic. The slightest thing like they could have the Titans could have gotten this on the plane. Like the plane might have not gotten sanitized to the proper specification and then one player gets it and then an outbreak starts. Like this is just this is how it is. This is the world we live in right now. And we're going to have to adapt, and the NFL is going to have to adapt as much as the teams do. All right, so this this is what I was talking about. It's a report by Tom Pelissero. Uh, so in this it says, sources say the NFL and the NFLPA, who could wrap up their investigation in a few days, I think this was on October 3rd, uh, are looking into whether protocol were vi- protocols were violated on wearing the mandatory Connexon tracking devices, leading to gaps in tracking data, used in contact tracing and whether individuals failed to timely report symptoms. Uh, so it, it, that was the quote unquote investigation part is they were looking to see if they did that. I don't know why they would specifically mention that unless there was a reason why, like but it, why I, the I, world I, would the Titans sure. do that. I mean, that's oh, like, I mean, sure. Like it, but it, it's not necessarily, I, I don't think it's a malicious thing. So, like, I don't think it necessarily is Mike Vrabel told everybody, look, you know, take off this, don't get tested. But uh, let's say some practice squad guy takes his off. Like, are you going to cut him from the team because he took his tracking device off for 20 minutes and said he was taking a shower? Like, even though it might not match up with anything else he said, like, I don't I don't know. I I think I think any guessing on our point on our part on like why they might like what they might have been looking for specifically is a little reckless. But my point is that that's, that's what I saw when I there, that's where that came from. And it's something that Ian reported retweeted and I'm sure that's where I saw it. But the, the point of all that is if you find out that teams are manipulating that data or they're not reporting symptoms or whatever, then I think we all agree. Yeah. Like if the Titans, let's say, since that's what we're talking about anyway, if the Titans were hiding symptoms, because let's say Jeffrey Simmons, since he's on the list, they saw Jeffrey Simmons was sick heading into that game and they, they knew him then, and they didn't report it. Then yeah, like they should be penalized because they put the league in danger for their own benefit. But I don't think that happened in Tennessee. I, I mean, it, I think the fact that the that the NFL as a whole changed their protocols and made daily testing mandatory and all that, I think those changes indicate that they identified that there's a problem with their protocol and not that there's a problem with it being followed. So I think that's good news for the Titans. But I mean, yeah, like part of what they're doing now is they're leaving cameras on so they can make sure that everybody's getting tested correctly. So I think that's a new thing they've either entered or something that they're making mandatory 24-7 with all these uh, testing p- procedures, but they're going to have some kind of data monitoring. So they watch you test these players or whatever, and then they have that stored or they approve it or whatever before all this happens. So, I mean, th- there's been changes made, which always indicates that there was, there was something wrong with the initial system. So I, I, I hope that's the end of it. Like, but like we said, we know it's not, but like maybe that's the end of, a seven-day outbreak instead of a four- or five-day outbreak. And I think that's a good bow on this conversation. Uh, I I think that sort of sums it all up. And and as we transition, we're going to stay on virus talk for just a second. I hate that we have to talk about it because my thing ever since this started is 
know, let's be an escape from that. But unfortunately, it has crept into this world that we cover. So uh, just a little bit longer on the virus topic. Let's talk about the players that have been affected by this. Uh, We don't know identities of the staff members slash coaches that have tested positive uh, because they don't have to disclose that. We do know, however, that Vrabel and Arthur Smith are not among them. So here are the players because they have to put the players on the COVID reserve list. I'll just list the ones that are on the active roster. I won't list practice squad players. Daquan Jones, Bo Brinkley, Kamale Correa, Christian Fulton, Adam Humphreys, Jeffrey Simmons, and Kari Blossingame. So, I mean, I, don't, I, I feel like there's a bunch of dinky, you know, sports talk radio-y topics from that list. You know, which which loss is the biggest loss for the time? I mean, we could debate back and forth. Maybe you think it's Simmons. He's probably the best player on that list. You could maybe argue, though, that Fulton's the biggest loss because they're so thin at cornerback. Or maybe you think Adam Humphreys is the biggest loss because of what he does on third down. I think that's a silly conversation. So, instead... Let's do this. Who are some of the guys that jump out to you as maybe replacements or, or people who will need to step up in big ways? Because, I mean, we still don't know if the Titans are going to have, as of us recording this podcast on Tuesday night, we have literally no idea if A.J. Brown, Taylor Lewan, or Adoree Jackson are going to play. Uh, we might know a little bit more. By the time you're listening to this, whether that's on on Wednesday or Thursday, based on the injury reports that have come out. Uh, But there's going to be a lot of practice squad guys playing this week because they're going to have to get to 48 somehow. And you have a 53-man roster minus seven. That leaves you at – what what does that leave you at? Help me with this math here. 53 minus seven. I'm blank. Uh, It's 46. 46. Six, yeah. Yeah. So, what if we all said the wrong number? I was about to say <laughs> forty-seven. My my first grade math skills are failing me. Um, you know that leaves you at forty-six. So you need at least two more just to hit forty-eight active players on game day. Vrabel made the comment today that you know he's looking forward to seeing some practice squad guys get some action in. So. Just talk to me about this list, guys. Who needs to step up, and and, and where do you see this thing going? Uh, before that, you missed Isaiah Wilson on the COVID list. I well, don't know why. I just I just the, named the ones that have not been on there for the last month. Yeah, I know. It was just uh, it's being sarcastic. Although he is on the list. He, anyway. He's been on the. So it, we're, this is October sixth. He's been on the list since September sixth. I don't yeah. think he has COVID well, anymore. I think I think they're just looking for a roster spot. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, probably they're just hiding him. That's what it seems like. <laughs> I mean, he might be the first COVID patient that's had it for a month in the world, <laughs> if if it's otherwise. <laughs> yeah, starting a little sketchy. I don't know what's going on there, but I think we do know what's going on there. Anyway, some of the guys that I think need to step up. Uh, I think a receiver, uh, AJ Brown, is going to play. I think uh, there was a report. Uh, I think a week ago that he was getting ready to play like he was going to play week five and he should be fine going forward. So I think he's going to play, but we still need that kind of slot guy and Corey Davis can play in the slot. He's done it in the past. AJ Brown can play in the slot. He was really good at it at old miss, but I'd like to see Westbrook a kind get a, get a couple of reps there just because he could be like that big slot guy, which we kind of had in Tajay Sharp for so many years because 
Westbrook kind of is a pretty big guy. And he, I know he's like 6'2", 210, 220 or something like that, but he looks bigger on the field. He hasn't done much in in the time he's been on the field. He was actually the he was the, the target on Ten Hills interception against the Vikings, but it, that was a bad throw anyway. So I'm not going to fault him for that, but he was very productive in college. Uh, he seemed to be do he seemed to do fine in training camp, and he's going to have to step up because Khalif Raymond's just not. He's a one trick pony. As much as we want to say that he's not, he is. So Westbrook kind of is probably going to have a lot on his plate, especially because Batson is also on the on the list. So I mean, Co- they could bring up Cody Hollister, but. I mean, I was about to say, you know, well, maybe Batson will play in the slot. And then I looked back at the list and was like, oh, nope. yeah. I didn't mention him earlier because he's on the practice squad. But he is on the list. He, he did have the coronavirus. And and for context for all of this, uh, sorry, I just moved my mic. I might have changed my audio a little bit there. Uh, Vrabel talked to the media on Tuesday and was sort of asked about any chance that some of these guys like a Bo Brinkley, a Daquan Jones, who were the early tests come back. And he said this on his radio show Monday night, too, that they're, they are preparing to not have any of them, which to me says they won't have any of them. Because he didn't even say, like, we're hopeful we'll get them back. It was, we're preparing as if they won't be there. Yeah, I think Daquan would be, like, he was one of the first ones to test positive. So I think uh, he would be, like, he would be the one I'm most optimistic on actually getting back in time. If he's not and Simmons is not, then, man, we have an issue on the D-line. They could bring up Tayir Tart. I, I don't know how to say his name, who apparently was good in training camp. Uh, I think he uh, had a couple of rave reviews, but is this a Titans it's not exactly player? inspiring. Tayir Tart, yes, he's on the he's on the practice squad. From Florida International. Uh, Clearly was not no- impressive the three days that I was at practice. <laughs> there is no other defensive lineman on the practice squad, so they're going to have to do something. Uh, but I mean, Clowney's going to play a lot of uh, a lot of snaps on the interior if Jones and Simmons are out because they could not rely on Dickerson, Isaiah Mack, and Murchison to play so many snaps. I, I know Craw- Crawford is fine; he's probably going to start. But those other guys, we just haven't seen enough from them to to play them on a consistent basis. Well, th- this is a good opportunity too. And well, I feel like you haven't gotten a chance to speak yet on this topic, so this will be the last <laughs> thing I say. But I feel like. Roberson, my guess would be, and again, this is guesswork. We haven't seen him practice yet. But I feel like Roberson will probably be back uh, this week. And so this is a time, I think, to use your edge depth because you've got so many of them. You have Correa, you have Landry, Clowney, uh, Vic Beasley, Roberson. Correa. Never mind. We'll we'll take it away. so uh, I think Jack Crawford's going to have to step up just because I know Matias talked about him. He's been pretty good at defensive tackle. They used him some at like that th- weird like edge like look that they use. I, I don't I don't like it when they use the three defensive linemen and they don't put Simmons out there. It just doesn't work as well. But uh, ever since they moved Crawford back inside, basically when they got more edge depth to rotate those guys there. He's been he's been solid. So I think he'll play a lot. I think they'll rotate. Murchison was the first man up. Uh, basically every game, especially week two and week three, just of those other defensive tackles. So I think the guys you'll see most at defensive tackle are still going to be uh, Crawford and Murchison. And then I think you'll get, like you said, rotations of Clowney in there. Or, you know, I'm sure they'll play Matt Dickerson. He's really bad. Uh, 
So we'll be like, oh, man, the linebackers looked really bad on this play. When we look back on it, 92 is just getting driven 10 yards in the backfield or missing people. So, like, that'll be annoying. But Isaiah Max had a chance to contribute, and he's good uh, as a, like, rotational player. So, I mean, they have options there. It is very uninspiring to think of, like, any of those players other than Crawford playing 45-plus snaps, but I think that's what we're going to get. And I think all the COVID concerns now make it harder to get somebody in for a tryout and a workout, and this would have been the perfect time to bring in snacks and let him, like, say, okay, we need somebody to fill in. We're going to accidentally trip and get a really good player, like, just out of need, and it would have helped us long-term, but it looks like that probably won't happen. Uh, that's bad. The other guy who needs to step up if he's healthy is Chris Jackson. And we talked about this before. The three of us have talked about this in the group chat where Fulton is predominantly a slot corner and Adoree Jackson is predominantly a boundary corner. And that's how they used, uh, both of them in training camp. So it makes sense based off everything we've seen Brable do in the past that they want to keep their slot corners in the slot and they want to keep their boundary corners on the boundary unless they have somebody who's good enough to do both. So I think that the move, if Adoree Jackson is healthy, is Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler, you're starting outside corners, which is what they would ideally do any week. And then instead of moving parts around to get uh, maybe Jonathan Joseph, maybe Ty Smith, whoever, uh, to play on the boundary, they'll just bring in Chris Jackson and let him play in the slot. So that those are the people who I think you need to be familiar with their names going forward. Wide receiver, I truly have no idea what they're going to do. Like, they're bad. I mean, A.J. Brown, if he's healthy and can play, if you have those, if you have him and Corey Davis, it really doesn't matter who your third guy is. Um, they'll probably just flex out uh, Jonu Smith or Ferks or somebody, or that would be the best situation. But I mean, I just I've got no faith in Khalif Raymond to do anything more than what we've seen him do, and you know, same thing with uh, Nick Westbrook, Akeen. I can never say his last name. So that that's kind of how I feel about pretty much every position. I don't think I missed anybody except for Bo Brinkley, and I don't think it's that hard to long snap. But even if it is, you know, just don't punt. Just throw the ball. Well, two things to close out this segment. First. I feel like how will when you started your part and I was you know waxing about oh they'll play Kamala Korea and you're like well he has COVID we're like uh, I feel like that's probably how a lot of conversations within that building are gonna go when they're game planning this week it's like well you know Humphreys is gone but I think we can probably use Batson in the slot oh Batson has COVID oh yeah that's right. Well, you know, yeah. not having Daquan Jones is going to be tough, but isn't it a good thing Jeffrey Simmons? Oh, he, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like that, that's how some of those well, conversations are going to go. And one one thing we didn't talk about is, uh, or at least I didn't talk about it, is Kyrie Blassingham. So, you know, because he's out, does that mean that it's like, okay, you have to use Michael Pruitt more at H-back, and then the trickle-down effect is you can't use Jonu Smith and uh, – uh, Ferkser is like flex guys because you have to leave them in tight. I, this is just me. I think that that is a minimal loss. I think that Kari Blossing game is very replaceable. People were freaking out before the season that he was going to be some kind of like weapon. They don't throw the ball to him. He just blocks like Pruitt can do that. I think it's going to oh, be I mean, okay. I think he can too, but like I'm more worried about what happens to like, it's like, okay, can you like, is John like, are you going to trust Ferkser to be the one that blocks? Like, we have Jeff or, Swaim, too. 
Oh, that's true. Is he practice squad? No, he's active roster. Oh, is he really? Okay, well then that that helps a lot. So and that really doesn't go. matter this week because they have like fifty four or excuse me forty four players on the roster. So a lot of these yeah. practice squad guys are coming over. Um, yeah. All right, L- let's transition into talking about the Buffalo Bills, the Titans' upcoming opponent. On paper, this is a team that I feel like we know pretty well, the three of us, because the Titans have played them for a few years in a row now. Uh, They lost the last two, one with the crushing Nick Williams play. Uh, The other was the disastrous Cairo Santos game. (laughs) And now they all have the coronavirus. So it's shaping up for a a great, great third matchup. I will say this to start off. Uh, once I transitioned in my mind from Steelers week to, to Bills week for the Titans after the game got moved, my first thought was, and still is at this point as we record this, this is a terrible matchup for the Titans. This is a defense that has been getting destroyed, granted through only three games, but re- playing really badly as a unit, and you are facing a hot quarterback that a lot of people are putting in the MVP conversation. And if he's not an MVP, he's certainly playing at a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type of level and Josh Allen, and I feel like he's going to have a lot of success throwing the ball around the yard. Matias, you mentioned earlier this week in our, our text chat, you said, you know, who's going to cover Stephon Diggs and, and, and John Brown with all these DBs sitting out? And this is also a tough, gritty, good technique, lots of disguise uh, defense that's particularly good against the run. And you would think on paper, uh, if anybody's going to shut down Derrick Henry, it's going to be these guys. And I feel like you're going to be have Tannehill throwing the ball a lot with potentially, you know, if A.J. Brown's not right, only Corey Davis in terms of starting caliber receivers. And this does not feel like a very good matchup for the Titans at all. And I haven't said that yet this year. No, it's not great. And we've seen the Bills games of, I think it was past two years or past three years, whatever, that have been just horrific. But this is going to be a different type of Bills-Titans games because the Bills offense looks like one of the best units in the entire NFL. Uh, their offensive coordinator, I don't know exactly who it is. Is it Brian Dable? I think it yes. might be. Huh? Yes. It's Brian Dable, yeah. He's designed a really good offense that, that maximizes Josh Allen's strength. Allen looks the best he ever has. He's still rather inaccurate from time to time, but that's kind of to be expected. Um, But what he does outside the pocket when he could just evade so many pass rushers, he's really hard to tackle, and he has some of the best weapons in the entire NFL. I mean, Stephen Diggs looks like a top three receiver in the NFL this year. He is unguardable. He's going up for passes. He's mossing people. It's He's the one of the best route runners in the entire NFL. And I don't know who's going to cover him, especially with the cornerback injuries and and the the COVID situation that we have at at cornerback. It is, I'm concerned. And then you add to Diggs, John Brown, who's a burner can get open at will down the field, down the field. You have Cole Beasley, one of the best slot guys in the NFL. Uh, They have this guy, Gabriel Davis, who's another deep threat and has been playing great the past couple of weeks. You add to all this two running back. I don't know if Zach Moss is going to play, but if he does, two running backs that are really good pass catchers. Zach Moss is more of a power guy, Singletary's uh, shiftier. It's just a lot, a lot to deal with for, especially for a defense that's been terrible. I mean, the Vikings 
threw and ran all over us. Uh, the first two weeks weren't great. I, I know they didn't give up too many points to the Broncos, but the Broncos don't have a very good uh, offense, and they were still moving the ball pretty efficiently against the Titans. So I am definitely concerned. The the good news, if there's at least a little bit of good, good news, the Bills' defense doesn't look as great as it has in past years. Uh, I don't know why that is, but they, they've actually been getting run on a little bit. Uh, Daryl Henderson in week three uh, had a big game against them. Josh Jacobs didn't do didn't do too much, but they also gave a little bit up through the air. So I, I think they're a little attackable on defense, but the offense is what worries me. Yeah, I, I think both their linebackers, starting linebackers were hurt in on week in week three, yeah. and then in week four yeah. they didn't look a hundred percent, especially like Edmonds. So. I think that helps a lot. Um, Josh Allen also got hit in that game uh, and had to leave for a little bit and then came back. But, I mean, he he is um, – so i got to figure out the right way to say this where it's not, like, over-flattering because I, I don't want to be like Mike Keith and say, like, every player of the Titan plays – Titans player is, like, the best players in the world. But he does have an arm that is very Mahomes-like where he can just whip instant velocity and arm strength, like, just – like, with almost no base, it seems like. So he's going to be super hard to defend. The good news is that he does do stupid things all the time. And a lot of it is like he's one of those quarterbacks that gets spun down to the ground and throws the ball up in the air. And the problem is his arm is so strong that he can get away with it most times. But, I mean, he's not above throwing like a pass that kind of loops in the air and a really opportunistic defense can jump underneath it or he'll try to fit it into tight coverage that he shouldn't like. He, it's not like his decision-making has gotten better necessarily, but you're right. Dabble does a really good job of uh, setting things up on offense. So he'll use a lot of horizontal motion to set things up. So like a lot of like jet sweeps and that kind of stuff and like just pre-snap lateral motion that makes it really hard to kind of pin your ears back and come at him because if you get pressure on Josh Allen, he does not thrive. I think that's what happened in the uh, Rams game is Aaron Donald finally started to get through in the third quarter and the defense. I think Fowler had a good play. That There was a couple of good defensive plays that really kind of flustered him, and it's not like he's a guy who's going to throw it away, but he'll throw it just inaccurately when he's under pressure just because he is human. But, yeah, for the most part, I mean, he's going to be really difficult to play against. The Titans are luckily incredibly conservative. So they're going to run two and three deep and hopefully they won't get burned over the top because that's, you know, the greatest sin a my variable defense can do. I, I, but, I think, I think that's the game plan. No, is it not? You play off. And co- I, I know usually we are totally opposed to off coverage, but I think you play off coverage. Don't get yourselves killed. And then wait for him to make a mistake. It's like you both have said, he's going to make one eventually. Yeah. And and if you like that, that is the Titans have accidentally stumbled into a really good defense to get for Josh Allen because they cover deep and they try to force you to pick them apart. And if you're not patient and methodical and for some reason don't want to throw it to wide open guys for 10 yards every play, then it's going to cost you. But I mean, that would require the Titans to get pressure at any point and it would require the safeties to be able to make a play on the ball. And I don't think we've seen 
either of those things happen consistently. So, I mean, there's no reason to think this won't be a game where it's first one to 35 win, wins. But, I mean, it's not going to be it's not going to be what Bill's Titans has been over the last five years. Now, let's say that they have a Dory Jackson, and obviously they're going to have Malcolm Butler, uh, and obviously they're going to have Byard and Vaccaro and, and everyone else except for Fulton. Do you get a little more aggressive at that point and say, all right, we, we've got our two corners if you're the Titans. Uh, let's just play press coverage and see what happens and maybe alter if we need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel a lot more comfortable if the Dory is playing, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because I don't think we're going to be able to get a lot of pressure, really, um, with Simmons and Daquan Jones out. Simmons is just so crucial. Well, they're uh, to certainly to not the... going to get pressure if they rush three. No, 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 no. Is that going to happen? That might happen. Yeah, it definitely might happen. For sure, for sure, it'll happen. It'll happen more than when they rush five, or if they rush five, they'll do it from declared position. So they'll just line five guys on the line of scrimmage. So it's really, really easy to block. It's, it's really. I mean, I, it's, it's a middle school defense. Like for the most part, it, it is very conservative. It is. I'm so scared that my guys are going to get beat. Please don't make me look stupid on national television. That, that is. That's what this defense is. It's terrified of the guys you have in the back five and you're just praying every time that they're okay with taking the 10 yard gain. Like it, it's, it's hard to watch. It's, it's tough for me because I, I mean, I hate rushing three, but I don't know if Josh Allen is the guy you want to blitz just because he can evade. He could evade pretty much anything because he's so strong. You can't take him down really on first contact. Plus he's so, quick that he could just you know scramble scramble out and then you know you're, you're put in a bad position that's how so many of his play big plays are made uh but the flip side of that you know hey, if you give him too much time his receivers are going to get open because Diggs and brown are just really tough to cover i man it's it's tough it's really a tough conundrum and and Vrabel hasn't really had the answers early on as as a defensive coordinator or whatever he is. I, I don't know. Still don't know who's calling the plays, but I don't know. I, I don't know what the game plan is, especially with all these um, all these players out. What makes it even worse is you know you talked about how elusive he is in the pocket. He's also a really good just runner. I mean, he is very similar to, and again. I don't want to compare him to Mahomes too much, but that no, game yeah. we saw last year in the playoffs where the yep. Titans ran the same X stunt on the edge and then Mahomes would just look and see if the end was crashing and if he was, he would take the outside and run for 10 yards. That's what they're going to run against him and it's just going to bite him in the ass. Like it is, it, It's going to be a lot like that game. Just a lot of vertical passes deep and a lot of if you don't blitz me and force me off my spot, I'm going to run or I'll just pick you apart until you come up and then I'll throw it over the top of your head. Like They're going to have to have somebody on defense who just really wants to make a play, and I I don't know that this defense is played like that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. After that, we are going to talk about the Houston Texans' decision to fire Bill O'Brien, and then we will conclude, as always, with our Stop the Nonsense segment. All right, guys, uh, the Houston Texans did, some people are calling this a shocking move, shocking, Houston Texan shocker firing Bill O'Brien after 0-4 start. Guys, this has been coming for like four years now. This, I have so much to say about this guy. 
and I'll, I'll open up the conversation with this very brief anecdote and then let y'all take over to, to maybe give me some time to, 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 to calm down. Uh, right before we started recording this podcast, I got an alert on my iPad, and it was a, a column from The Athletic from, I guess, their Texans guy. And the title of the article was, What Went Wrong for Bill O'Brien in Houston? It wasn't a question. It was like, you know, this article is going to explain what went wrong for Bill O'Brien in Houston. And I didn't click on it because uh, we're doing the podcast. But I feel like a grad student in like a sport administration program could write their graduate thesis on that. Like, there is just so much to talk about when it comes to what Bill O'Brien did wrong. This is beyond, he was not a good coach, he was not a good play caller, he was hard to get along with. This is all three of those things that I just listed off the top of my head, and a million more. So with that, Matthias, take it away. You say you weren't shocked, but I was a little shocked, man, to be honest with you, because it seemed like he had gained so much power within that organization that he was the only one who could fire himself. That, like, that's that's what it seemed like, uh, because he was essentially the GM and the head coach, and I just didn't know if he would be able to, you know get taken out of power, but apparently he was. This is akin to, like, an 80-year-old cat dying. Like, it's a death, but it's not shocking at all. Like, this has been a long time coming. No, I agree. I agree. Like, he should have been gone a while ago, but I just – I'm still surprised that it happened. But he definitely earned it. He definitely earned it with the moves he has made for the past couple of years, essentially crippling that franchise – in terms of giving away draft capital uh, for nothing, with nothing to show for it. And then the the nail in the coffin was trading DeAndre Hopkins, who's, I mean, at least top two, top, top three receiver in the league for a second-round pick and a 29-year-old running back. I mean, that was that was something else, man. I, I, that was one of the worst moves in history. Ever. In I, history. Lo- I love telling the story of when I found out about that. I was eating lunch. And my phone buzzed, and it was Schefter, and it said, uh, looks like the Texans are trying to work out a trade for David Johnson. And I thought, oh, that's actually a pretty good move for them. I bet he still has a little bit left in the tank. He'll work good with Watson. That's probably a good move. And then, like, two minutes later, my phone buzzed again, and everyone was like, oh, my goodness gracious, they traded Hopkins for him. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no. Like, uh, oh, oh, no. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, I have nothing but respect for uh, Bill O'Brien, who has truly helped the Titans kind of move into this position. So, you know, I, I'm sad to see him go. Like, it, I mean, and, and uh, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but honestly, like, it does suck because he was truly like one of the worst general managers we've ever seen like in his short stint like as a head coach with like a bunch of moving parts they put up points they did well on defense like because jj watt was really good like i don't i don't hate what he did as a head coach but as a general manager he was so bad and he just very clearly did not understand how to deal with people he didn't understand how to deal with his own players like 
there's reports out now that the only reason he gave Cunningham and uh, Bernard McKinney like long extensions is because they were kind of his guys in the locker room. And, you know, it, it, it all makes sense when you look at it on paper, because it's very much like if you if your excuse for trading Hopkins is you can't pay Hopkins and then you you've paid two line middle linebackers like that much money, then something fishy is going on. But I mean, I don't know, like you do your job poorly enough for a long time, you get fired and it's not shocking. But uh, like we've said before, he got promoted like a few months ago, like to be in a like he kind of usurped the title of GM before last season started. And then he made the Laramie Tunsil and Jadavian Clowney deals happen and they are train wrecks. And then this year he did such a bad job that McNair decided to make him the GM full time and you know, great, whatever. Then he traded Hopkins and there was no rumblings about McNair being upset or whatever. Like the owner was fine with it. And then, you know, four weeks in he's and four and all of a sudden he gets fired. Like it is a little bit surprising that the only guy who can fire you has shown blank, like blatant commitment. Just saying like, look, you know, you're my guy. Like I'm loyal to you. Like here's all the power you want. And then a month later, you're like, you know what? I think I'm just going to move an entirely different direction now that you've changed the entire composition of my roster. I mean, I remember three years ago when we started podcasting together, me saying, and really all three of us saying that he was a huge fraud. And this was back in 2017. And I think what we meant by that was they're winning games and winning the division but it's nothing he's doing. He's just got a lot of talent with Hopkins and, and Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt and, and back when Whitney Merciless was really good, guys like that. And and we were kind of saying back then, like, if it wasn't for those guys, he would have been fired a while ago because he's not that good of a coach and he's kind of annoying and insufferable. Well, fast forward three years, that, like, I sat down and thought about this. Like, I genuinely feel bad for Texans fans because talk you want to talk about a has there ever been a more hopeless franchise that has their franchise quarterback undoubtedly like Deshaun Watson he he's the franchise good quarterback we we you know we joke and make fun about Deshaun Watson on here but he's talented he's a good quarterback wins games obviously not this year but typically wins games but it's so hopeless because they don't have a first-round draft pick until, get this, 2023. That's their next first-round draft pick. Uh, they only have a second-round draft pick in one of the next two drafts. They're in cap hell. This is just terrible situation, top to bottom. I, I, there's not a whole lot of hope. They, they don't need a, like a total rebuild because, they, like we said, there is talent. They just need some pieces to come in and, 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 and you know, it would help to have the best receiver in the NFL. That would be good. Um, but that's beside the point. They need culture. They need everything. And you know what's funny? Because I kind of felt this way looking at my Twitter, and I was watching the, uh, the Pat McAfee show this morning, and, and Pat said this. The reaction from Texans fan was, was unanimously, ding-dong, the witch is dead. There's not one Texans fan on Twitter going to bat for this guy. And as soon as it happened, all these national reporters are getting horror stories from people who work for Bill O'Brien talking about how he would F-bomb people when he fired them and curse them on their way out the door. 
And, of course, we all know, if you've seen that TMZ video of him F-bombing a fan that told him he sucked. Like, this guy was erratic, made, like you guys have said, terrible decisions when he got put in charge of personnel. He has stunted a previously talented team. He made selfish decisions, uh, particularly the DeAndre Hopkins trade. What a disaster. I mean, I try not to speak in hyperbole. And I know I have been on him for a while, but this was a disaster for the Houston Texans organization. Most of it preventable, honestly, if you think about it. And, you know, there was some talk during the Patriots-Chiefs game. This is the last thing I'll say. There was some talk during the Patriots-Chiefs game about, well, they just need to get Eric Bieniemy in here. And they just need to, I'm like, screw that if I'm Eric Bieniemy. Why in the world would I leave Patrick Mahomes in the middle of the year for that dumpster fire? Even if it did give me a head coaching job. Because guess what? At the end of the year, I'm going to have my pick of the litter. Like, who would want that job? Yeah, I, I mean, I have... go you, ahead. You, you, I was going to say, like, you can sell me on maybe getting him after the season. But, like, you have to understand, like, people still, for some reason, like Sam Darnold. And there's a chance that if you go and you're the head coach in uh, New York, that you actually get to use your first pick, which will probably be first overall or top three, instead of having to send a top three pick to Houston and then, or to Miami and then also your second round pick. So you get that, you get the pick from Jamal Adams. And if you say, okay, if you're really committed to Sam Darnold, you can keep Sam Darnold and add, you know, Jalen Waddle and like, uh, Jamar Chase, and you just add elite firepower power to your offense. Like that's such an appealing job compared to Houston, where they have the highest payroll in the NFL already. So you're going to have to like pinch pennies when you're hiring the rest of your staff. You won't be able to give them what they want because you won't have the money to do it. You don't have any draft picks. You've already committed to JJ Watt, uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, uh and Laramie Tunsil to these mega deals. Like who, who wants to go there? Like, exactly. that's, like that's gotta be like your fallback option because you know, they're desperate for anybody. I mean, like I said, if I, if I'm like an Eric B or some, or an executive that's with a good organization, I know these guys like want the, want to take the next step and they, they want to become head coach. They want to become a general manager, but I would almost be like, dude, I'll keep my cushy job for now and I'll take the next step with an organization that isn't currently set up for failure. Yeah, but money talks sometimes and I'm sure the Texans are going to... They're going to have to overpay for someone. It's the only way to actually it's get a, one. It's a kid wizard. They don't have any money. Take this job. They, I mean, they have money, like, theoretically, but, like... They, well, it's all about hard cash. Just... The coach is not a salary cap person yeah no that's right? that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about they're paying their current staff more than any other team in the nfl is paying their current staff oh when they have to pay o'brien also yeah like they like all those deals are gone are guaranteed like that that money doesn't come off the books next year it's not it's not so like they're paying more than anybody else to be zero and four and they're gonna have to try to entice somebody and they're not gonna be able to pay their staff because they're already paying more than anybody else in the nfl well then Romeo Cornell is going to be the head coach for for a while. <laughs> he used to Cornell for a year. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Let's uh, let's do stop the nonsense, guys. As we close out, and if you like stop the nonsense and you want a T-shirt that says stop the nonsense, we make them and we sell them at our shop shop.spreadshirt.com/slash/no-nonsense-pod. 
All right, guys. I'll start. I had actually picked this before the firing happened, but I think it's appropriate, perhaps, as a eulogy to Bill O'Brien. So, as I kind of joked about earlier, uh, Bill O'Brien had uh, a lot of titles for the Texans. He was the head coach. He was the offensive play caller. He was the general manager. He wore a lot of different hats, way too many, obviously. For whatever reason, people have fallen in love. And I'm glad that hopefully this is now over. People had fallen in love with jokes about that to beyond just saying, you know, like I did at the beginning, head coach, general manager, offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. Like these weird, like bad comedy routines where it was like, <laughs> you know, I, I bet GM Bill O'Brien had a, had a real hard come to Jesus chat with the head coach Bill O'Brien after that game. <laughs> I mean, it's like those, uh, if you watch uh, Ben Polizzi, his Johnson videos, where he's like, uh, uh, you know, I gotta go uh, do some homework. Get working on my beer tolerance. <laughs> like, that was the level of humor that we were reaching with those jokes. And they just were everywhere on my timeline Monday and Tuesday. Like, I, I'm hearing that GM uh, uh, Bill O'Brien, and even after got fired. It was, I hear GM Bill O'Brien has fired head coach Bill O'Brien. Like, just stop. Like, it, it became, like, maybe the first couple were funny, but it there was just so much of it, and has been really for a while, that it became the new, like, Honor Landry or Kevin Byard, just a fan, Deion Sanders thing. Like, if, if for no other reason, I'm glad Bill O'Brien got let go because mercifully those jokes will come to an end. They did get a little tiresome, honestly, but um, of course it's always fun to laugh at Although Bill O'Brien. I mean, it, it is hard to reach the level of Honor Landry and Kevin Byard just to fan jokes. I mean, both of those were obviously funny at the beginning when Vince Young screwed up and when Deion Sanders called Kevin Byard just a fan. But like months later when people were still making those jokes at nauseum, that was a problem. <laughs> the Honor Landry one I never – I never found all agreed, that funny. Agreed. Agreed. I don't think. Yeah. Like I think. I think Vince Young struggles it, to read. It, it was just funny when life. Vince Young pronounced his name and none yeah, of us knew yeah, who the I, Titans had yeah. picked. Yeah, that was brutal. Will thought they picked Arden Key. Uh, yeah, because uh, I'd like I saw I got an alert on my phone and I heard the name and I was like, oh, they got it wrong. Like I got I got my hopes up for no reason and then. <laughs> It, they showed Harold Landry graphics, and it was horrifying but relieving. <laughs> so confused. Great times. Great times. All right, uh, I'll go next. Uh, I think I've done a stop the nonsense on them before, but I just had to go back to to the Atlanta Falcons because this is the most pathetic team I have ever seen in my entire life. Like this, this cannot be classified as a football team that's actively trying to win games. And by the way, Dink Quinn is still a coach. I have no idea how. I have no idea how. He should have been fired two years ago. He's he, 0 4 he, right now. Dan, Dan Quinn is Dan Quinn is Bill O'Brien without the personnel decisions and the insufferable personality. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But he's not good at anything. At least Bill O'Brien had like a decent offense running. Dan Quinn is supposed to be this defensive minded coach. The Falcons have the worst defense in the league. It's not even close. It's not even close. They cannot cover anyone. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, Robert Tanyan. Robert Tanyan scored three touchdowns against them. And on one of them, one of their players tackled him in the play, 
got a flag. Tanya got up, and he was wide open in the end zone, and he scored a touchdown. But anyway, that's not, that's not why I'm upset at them. I'm upset at them because I watched this entire game, and they were down 20-3 to at halftime. On one of their first half drives, they had a 20-play, 94-yard, 10-minute, 36-second drive that ended with a field goal from the five-yard line. From the five-yard line, when you have the worst defense in the league and you know you are not going to stop one of the best offenses in the league for the entire duration of the game, they decided to kick a field goal from the five after after 19 plays and going 94 yards. That really pissed me off. But what pissed me off even more is in the second half, they're down 20 to three. And no, they were down. Sorry, they were down 27 to nine at one point uh, with like midway through the third quarter. They were letting the play clock run to under 10 seconds on every single play when all you need to do is try to score as quickly as you can because your defense can't hold. And and they were running the ball. They were running the ball with Todd Gurley, who, like, I love Todd Gurley. I've loved him forever. He can't run. He literally has an arthritic knee, and he cannot run. And they're trying to establish the running game down 17 points in the second half while the clock is running out on them. And it was just, it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever seen. I feel so bad for Falcons fans. And I don't know what I would do if that was the Titans. I would, I would, I would stop being a fan genuinely. Yeah. I mean, it was a struggle last year when we were like two and four. So I can imagine that being oh and four or whatever they are, but it, it is, I don't know. It's not even like upsetting to watch anymore. It's just like inevitable. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Falcons are not fun to watch and they need to change everything about their team. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote about this, so I struggled on whether I should try to find another one or not, but it is genuinely upsetting. Um, so you probably have seen this already if you follow me on Twitter, but uh, CBS got the rights to the Giants-Cowboys game because they traded some game with Fox or whatever. I, I don't I don't understand exactly what happened, but they got the 0-4 Giants, who've scored three touchdowns all year, and the 1-3 Cowboys, who... Aside from the Falcons, I mean, if not for the Falcons, they would be 0-4. And And you're like, okay, like, that's cool. That's a big audience. But they're putting Tony Romo and Jim Nance on that game. They're putting their best crew on that game in a week where they have Cleveland Browns, Indianapolis Colts, and Titans and Bills. So you've got two teams that come, or two teams in the Colts and Browns who combine for six wins, and then two teams in the Bills and Titans who combine for seven wins and zero losses, and they get the sixth and seventh crew respectively, where the the New York Giants and Cowboys, who, I mean, I cannot, I mean, I can't tell you how bad these teams are. Like, if you've watched the Giants, I'm sorry, you should never have watched the Giants game, and I hate that for you. If you've watched the Cowboys, you know that their defense does not care at all. They're unmotivated. They're poorly coached. And for as fun as Dak Prescott is, it's starting to get to the point where I just feel bad when I watch him throw for 500 or 600 yards or whatever he throws because I know at the end of the day his team's going to lose or they're going to barely scrape by. Like, they're bad teams. But they get the number one crew. Like, 
that to me that is the epitome of okay we've got a narrative we want to push and it's that one of these teams is going to be okay and that's what we're going to say the whole game it that you know these teams can turn it around because of these you know nice young quarterbacks even though daniel jones is a dumpster fire and a train wreck mixed but you push this narrative out instead of using this as an opportunity to, to explain why other teams in the NFL who people might not get to see, but who would get to see with Romo and Nance, you miss that opportunity to educate them on why they're good and why the Titans aren't necessarily Derrick Henry's team or why the Colts aren't like being upgraded by Phillip Rivers as much as it is defense and running game. Like You have these chances to create your own narratives about teams, but you just go for like the lowest common denominator and the easy hanging fruit. You just go for, I just don't, I truly don't understand why this happens. Like it's, it's a giant issue for me in all of sports that there's too much appeal to specific markets instead of appeal to what, what teams are putting on the best football. We're going to sign off for Will and Matias. uh, I am Luke thanking you and everyone as always for listening to our show and reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Hopefully we got a football game on Sunday. We'll see you next time. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.